0: Today is February 24th, Wednesday, and my assignment tonight by the Holy Spirit is called Perspectives. I've recently been studying the books of Jeremiah Lamentations, and was thinking about how Prophet Jeremiah was called by God, and God called him at a young age and put him in a situation that um, he had a lot of issues with throughout most of his ministry, And he was put in some pretty intense situations. And I'm going to go further than that later on in the message. But over the last few um, months, I've experienced, as well as observed, in this brethren in this body here, a lot of us going through intense situations. Um, I've seen wives and experienced wives crying themselves to sleep and wives in here crying. Um, Husbands so frustrated with their wives that they can't even think or want to talk to them. Um, Teenagers exasperated with their parents. They don't want their dad and mom saying nothing to them. Parents like, why can't this child get right? I know I'm, I'm talking to them, I'm praying with them, and they're just not doing right, and it's so stressful. Um, there have been um, illnesses affecting the innocent children and also perpetuating illnesses through some of the adults. Um, single brothers and sisters desperately wanting to be married. Married people contemplating being single. Just all kind of drama going through the body. Um, new believers fighting with their flesh and wonder if they have what it takes to stay the course. Um, unemployment striking at the most un- inopportune time. Unemployment is never good, but sometimes when it hits you, it really hits you. Um, what I hope to convey tonight by the word of God and by his Holy Spirit is it's not what happens to us that matters, but it's how we perceive what happens to us that matters. What I want to do tonight is try to start off with by laying a small foundation of how we should pre- perceive our situations. My um, so can you put on the screen? On the screen here, we have what is called um, a perspective graph. Yes. As you look at it, this looks at the life, this is perspective from God's perspective on us. The timeline here is a believer's walk. In the beginning, Almighty God demonstrates himself mightily in your life because he loves you, he cares for you, he wants you saved. That's his goal. Amen. As we walk through this timeline with God, taking step by step by step in his word to learning who he is, he decreases in what he does because we should grow in our faith and trust his character. Amen. We should know walking with God, who he, his reputation, his character, and his authority. In the Old Testament through the New Testament, when God introduced himself to new believers, he did a miraculous thing. He did Jacob's ladder, talked to him in the gene. Jacob was like, I didn't even know you was here. Moses, he set a bush ablaze, and um, the bush wasn't consumed. The Israelites that had been in slavery for 400 years, he demonstrated plagues. But in the beginning, God shows himself so you know that I'm God. I'm here for you. I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. You can trust me. And as you walk, this walk with him through this timeline. He shouldn't have to show himself mightily all the time. You should develop an understanding of who he is. Um, thank you. I um, used my son as an example last night as a Bible study. He, um, I love you, but um, he has uh, a tendency of um, asking for things a lot. You know, and that's what teenagers do. And he came to me one time, this is some months ago, and it just kind of, because God teaches me so much with being a husband and being a father, it's amazing. You know, I didn't know what I didn't know until I got married. <laughs> um, but Timothy came to me some months ago, and he was, um, I want this, and I want this, and I want this, and he asked me once, I said, okay, I hear you. And he came back a couple of days later, I want this again. And I said, okay, I heard you. Third time he came, I got annoyed. And I'm like, why do you keep asking me for this? Have you had? Have you not had what you needed since we've been father and son? And he said, "No." I said, "Don't you know that once I said yes, you don't have to speak anymore about it? You should." And my thing is, I got annoyed with him because I love you, man. But I, I that you act like you didn't know my character. Have I given you a reason not to trust me? Have I given you a reason not to take me at my word the first time, as opposed to you asking me again about the same thing and again and again? All you need to do is ask me once. That's how it is with us new believers. When we come into Christ, God shows himself mightily over and over again. But as we learn his character, his reputation, his authority, we are supposed to have greater and greater faith and God should have to do less and less and less to get us to be obedient to his word. So I'm starting here because I want you to understand that depending on where you are on this timeline, um, your perception should be based on God's operation in your life. I remember when I first came into Christianity, I was brought out of Jehovah's Witness into um, believing in Christ Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And um, I was in situations all the time. I, I was having money issues. I was having health issues. And God showed himself in situations where I knew that this was not a coincidence what's happened to me to get me out of this. I knew it was a holy God that delivered me from my situations. And everybody in here has a different situation they've gone through that, um, but God has shown himself in your life, otherwise you wouldn't be here now. He's shown himself somewhere. So based on his character in your life, we should start perceiving our situations differently. Amen? Can you go to the second slide? As you get deeper in your walk with Christ Jesus, God almost gets to the point where he's quiet. Because he's like, you should know who I am by now. You just have faith in me. You do what I've called you to do in obedience to my word, and I will always be there with you. So this second graph is our perspective, looking back at God. I feel sometimes I'm like, well, I'm praying, Father, and I'm hoping, and I have to get reminded that what have I done for you so far to get you to where you are. And have I left you? Have I forsaken you? Have I left you astray? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. We know that faith is trust, ground is obedience. So again, as we walk with God and we learn who he is, our trust should grow and our obedience to his word should grow. Amen. Amen. Something happened to me recently in this body. Um, that kind of brings us to to a point. Um, a few months ago, um, I'm in prison ministry. Many of you guys know um, a situation happened that I just discovered, um, and I got immediately annoyed with the situation. I, I, I started crucifying a brother that I loved dearly mentally. He didn't. He wasn't even aware of it. I'm leaving prison. I heard something, and I got so mad that the whole time driving back from prison ministry to the church, I'm looking at the window, thinking horrific things because of my perception was all messed up and I have determined in my mind that when I got here I was gonna have words with that brother and as we're driving here, um, God started delivering little snippets, do you know this brother's character? Yes. Do you know the leader's character who are supporting this brother? Yes. Do you feel they are praying to me and they are being led by me? Yes. So who do you really have an issue with? The brother or with me? And by the time I got the car, I had to reset all of this because my perception was all messed up. Because having an issue with a brother is one thing, but having an issue with the Holy Spirit, that's all messed up. So when I came into the sanctuary, I found a brother, and I said, hey, listen, can we talk? And he was like, yeah, no, no problem. And we went and sat down. I said, I just want to apologize to you And he said, What what happened? He was unaware completely that I crucified him, and he was everything but a godly brother from the time I left the prison to the time I got here. But my perception of the situation was messed up, and it led me to having wrong thoughts, which could have led to wrong actions had not the Holy Spirit, had I not walked with the Holy Spirit and knew who his character was. Um, So I apologized to my brother, and um, we squashed it. I still dealt with my issues for about two more days. But that's okay, you know. God, God shows Himself, and that's what I want to bring to everybody's attention tonight. Is is how we perceive our situations. It's not the situation themselves, but what we're thinking in them that leads us to be obedient to God or disobedient and being led astray. Amen. Um, it's very similar to the prodigal son, the older son, not the young one that went out and did what he did. The older son, we know the father represents. King Jesus, our father in heaven. Um, he didn't love his father because he didn't respond in a way that was joyful. Um, he didn't love his brother, really, because when his brother came back, he wasn't overjoyed to see him. You know, His perspective throughout that whole story was messed up. Um, he wouldn't forgive his father. He was like, listen, I, I've been serving you all this time. I didn't disgrace the family. I didn't leave. I didn't do this. I didn't do this. And you're going to throw him apart. You're going to do this again, his perception. And that's kind of how it was. I'm like, I've been serving in this ministry for this many years and this happened and this happened and my perception was all jacked up. So I'm sharing from my heart tonight because I want. I see so many things in this body Um, and I love everybody dearly and I see people going through situations and sometimes if we just simply look at our situations through the lens of Christ Jesus, then we can persevere better. Amen. Amen we turn to Matthew chapter 18 verses 21 and 22. What there? It's a well-known scripture. And the implications are, this I got from another brother that I love deeply. I was going through a situation and I had some, again, miss, messed up perceptions. And my brother said, um, he gave me the scripture. He said, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven. And um, that's not saying that you pull or forgive somebody 490 times and then let them have it on the 491st time. <laughs> that's, that's each occurrence of offense. You give them uh, forgiveness, 70 times seven, each occurrence. So somebody yell at you, 490 times you forgive them if you want to be um, you know, physical about it. They do something else, but... What Jesus is trying to get us to see is that we should be in a state of forgiving all the time, no matter what defense. Um, when I find myself angry about situations at home, I'm ha- having to learn now that I've got to look at this through the eyes of Christ Jesus and learn to tone whatever emotions I'm feeling in the flesh and taper them with God's word. Amen. Amen. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Now, in the Amplified Bible, which I like the way it says, it says, "God's love in us takes no account of evil done to it; it pays no attention to suffer wrong." Based on what I just gave you, and the verse that I'm, I just mentioned, we are supposed to be in a place where, when we get in places of offense, whether it's our bosses, our brothers, our wives, our children, whatever it is, we're supposed to be in a place where we're looking at this with the eyes through, through the eyes of Christ, in accordance to His Word. And, and not being offended and not having the wrong understanding and perceptions in the situation. Because the moment we take that wrong thought, we go into a path that leads into all other types of drama that gives Satan the window to attack us. Because we are stepping out of the hedge of protection that God gives us when we obey his word. And we are, Satan has legal right to attack us when we are going contrary to what God's word says. Amen. Amen. Now, tonight I want to start... Um, instead of going to law writing prophets and New Testament I'm going to start New Testament and work my way back Um, let's go to Mark chapter 8 verses 23 to 25 now this is an account of Jesus visiting Bethsaida and the blind man in Bethsaida and again this whole sharing tonight what God has given me is based on how we see things our perception Um, when Jesus got there he took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. And when he had spat on the man's eyes, he put his hands on him and Jesus asked, do you see anything? Next scripture. He looked up and said, I see people who look like trees walking around. Next scripture. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. You know, that little block of scripture is very powerful. Um, I've read it many times and just read through it, but when you take the time and just break it down a little bit more, this is one of the rare occurrences, I think the only one that I can think of, where Jesus had to do something twice to a person. And it was a gradual healing. Normally when Jesus spoke to a situation, it was done. When Jesus touched a situation, it was done. He didn't have to go back and do something again. So I had to ask myself, what is, what are we being shown here? What's what's going on? The first part of this, is in the beginning part of a Christian's life, we get a legitimate touch from God. Many people come in here, and they get a legitimate touch from God, and they will leave and come back, but they still don't see things totally clearly. Okay, I've had touches from God when I started my walk, and I still was getting into all other types of drama and sin in my life. So He touched, Jesus touched me the first time, um, and when he asked him, um, and he looked up and he said, I see men looking like trees, Jesus asked him, um, When Jesus asked him, how do you see? And he said, I see men looking like trees. Jesus was giving him an opportunity to go deeper into him. Okay? He, was, um, he had a legitimate touch from God. But when he asked him, how do you see? Jesus didn't even know this gentleman. Um, he already knew what his condition was. But when he asked him, how are you seeing? He was giving the guy an opportunity to say, I need more. I need more from you. I need another touch from you. And many times we'll come in here and we will be in a situation when we should keep going back to King Jesus saying, I need more. I need another touch. I'm not seeing the situation clearly. I'm not responding to the situation the way I should be responding to. Touch me again, Lord. Touch me again. Touch me again. Um, the first stage of recovery that the gentleman went through represents most of us believers. We're better than we was when we started, but we're not completely whole. I want us to get into our mind tonight that as we keep coming back to the king and keep looking at things through our understanding of the word and his character, that's when we get clearer sights and clearer sights and clearer sights. Every time I'm in a situation and I truly come hungry and looking in God's word, that's when things get clear and I'm able to adjust. Even when I feel that I'm legitimately right in my situation, when I apply it to the lens of God, I'm like, okay, you know, I feel this way, which is irrelevant. How does God see the situation? How does it apply to his word? And am I doing it? Am I responding in that way? And generally, I'm not generally, 100% of the time, when I step back, I say, okay, I'm going to go and apologize in the situation because that's what the word tells me to do, forgive 70 times 7. I'm going to go ahead and do this. That's when things turn around for the better. Because God shows himself every time when we do things according to so. What I want us to get tonight is see things through the new perceptions through God's eyes. Amen? Amen? Like the man born blind, there are some things that happen just beyond our reasoning, okay? There are many things that go on that we just can't comprehend. and Many times we try to rationalize, why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this? Um, why Can't this happen? Why can't that happen? We're always trying to rationalize. And sometimes they just go beyond our understanding. Um, My wife's best friend, um, she was in our wedding. She had, within the last three years, her mother died. The year after that, her husband passed away. And this year, her son passed away. Horrible, horrible. Some people would just break down and just give up. She thanks God for the time she had with her family members. Her perception is different than many people's perception was. Some people are just like, "What me, why is this happening? I've lost everything. And she loves God. She, she desperately loves him, and she's grateful and thankful for allowing her to have the time with her husband, her wife, her mother, and her, her son. So whatever the situation we're going into or we're dealing with right now, we need to learn to see things from another perspective. I want that to come clear because I'm living that right now in my life. So I'm not preaching at you. I'm living this situation. Um, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 17 through 19. Yeah. Right there. This is Paul preaching to the Ephesian church. And he says, I keep asking that God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, May give, you spirit, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The power is the same as his mighty strength. This is such an awesome prayer that Paul was giving because he was talking to the Ephesians church and trying to say, I want y'all, I, I, I pray that God enlighten the heart, the eyes of your heart. Change the way you see things because the way you guys are seeing things is not correct. I'm desperately praying for God to open up your light, to enlighten your heart. Um, he wanted them to get a deeper revelation of Christ Jesus, a deeper revelation of who God is in their life. Because when you get this revelation and you know how his holy presence operates, you can get this incomparably uncom- great power as his words are here in the word, and you can do the things that we normally couldn't do. But you can't get that with the right with the wrong outlook on life. So Paul was saying here, I pray that the eyes of your heart be enlightened in order that you may know the hope. And I look at that word hope in the Bible. It's pleasant anticipation. God has a hope for each one of us in this room, a place that he wants us to be, um, a status he wants us to attain. But we won't get that way if we're not looking at things as God wants us to see them. So whatever your situation you're going through right now, at this very moment in your life, whether you're having issues on your job, you don't have a job, you're ill, you're fighting with your spouse, you have children that are in all kind of drama, and I can just go down the list. We've got to look at it like this so that we can get feel, we can get a true, deeper understanding of how, what Christ wants, because he will put us in situations and we've got to get that understanding of what he wants for us, how he wants us to live, so we can get that incomparably great power so we can defeat the situation and walk in glory and strength and glorify our King Jesus. Amen? Amen. I want to turn to Jeremiah, because I've been having fun with Jeremiah. We're going to go to chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. And Jeremiah was, um, when I was reading the scriptures and studying it, God called him as a young man. Jeremiah, when he spoke with God, he was telling God in the beginning of it, I can't speak, I can't do this. And God corrected him. He said, listen, before I place you in your mother's womb, I sanctioned you and I ordained you to go before the nation. God has callings for each one of us before we leave in place in our mom's womb. There is something for each one of us to do. And he hopes and, that we will go and do that. But we can only do that when we walk in trust. We can only do that when we walk in faith and apply his holy power to the situation. Amen. Amen. Um, Jeremiah was called to preach to people who did not want to hear his message. And I think about that, because I've I, I sat back and I've read Jeremiah, and I'm like, whoa. I think about the little issues I have every day. And God called this young man, and he was in the ministry for over 20 years, and he said, I want you to go preach to these people because I'm getting ready to bring judgment upon this nation. And when I bring it, I'm not going to relent. And Jeremiah had to go and talk to people. And because they didn't see His prophecies coming true at the time, they continued in these sinful ways. He was ostracized from his family and friends. He was thrown in jail and beaten. He went through a whole list. He had health issues of stuff, but his perspective in the situation was, I gotta speak what you put inside me as far as shut up in my bones. I gotta speak it, I gotta do what you call me to do. No matter what I'm going through, I got to do your will. So whatever we're going through, we gotta do his will. It doesn't matter what we're going through, we got to do his will. Amen. Amen. I remember one occurrence, and I was sharing this last night. um, I think it was Jeremiah chapter 7. Don't hold me on that, but um, in that scripture, God told him to go talk to the king, and when he went to talk to the king, he prophesied that God was going to, the king said, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to win this battle, we're going to do this, and Jeremiah said, God himself is going to fight against you. Imagine talking to the ruler of a nation, and and you tell him that, no, what you want is not going to happen, and God himself is going to fight against you. God said in the prophecy, and the prophecy was harsh. He says, I'm going to bring a plague on this place. okay? Because if God was at this point, he was beyond mad. I'm going to bring a plague on this place. And everybody that don't die by the plague, I'm going to bring the sword. And if you don't die by the sword, then I'm going to have you exiled from your home country. And you will never come back. Okay? That's a harsh word to tell somebody. And Jeremiah had to stand before a ruler. And he could have had anything to happen. Now, he was kicked out from the king, he was thrown in jail, he was beaten, and he went right back out and kept doing God's will. So these things we go through, look at what Jeremiah, Jeremiah is a great comfort for me when I'm going through issues, because I look at him, I'm like, well, God, you love me, and I'm not going through quite what this man going through. Amen? <laughs> I want us to turn to um, the book of Ezra. We're going to go to chapter 10, and read verses 1 through 19. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. Okay. Now, the backstory with this is the people of God were being allowed to return to their homeland and rebuild a temple. God had given Ezra favor. And Ezra had favor with the kings. When Ezra spoke, the kings listened. They helped bless him. They gave him protection. They gave him um, products to help rebuild the temple. And here, Ezra was praying and confessing. He's weeping and throwing himself down before the house of God. A large crowd of Israelites, men, women, and children, gathered around him. They, too, wept bitterly. Then Shekinah, son of Jehiel, one of the descendants of Elam, said to Ezra, We have been unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women. This was kind of deep to me when I read this um, from the people around us. But in spite of this, there's still hope for Israel. Now, let us make a covenant before our God to send away all these women and their children in accordance with the counsel of my Lord and of those who fear the commands of our God. Let it be done according to the law. Rise up. This matter is in your hands. We will support you, so take courage and do it. Now, what's going on is the people of God have finally got out of captivity. They're finally returning home to rebuild the temple and get their lands back. And the people of God, as they've done countless times before, they're going out and they're mixing, mixing themselves with people who worship foreign gods and idols and other issues, okay? They just got out of captivity, okay? And now they're going back doing the same thing. And that's for seeing this, and he's weeping and he's fasting, and he's pulling his hair and he's going through, because he's, he's feeling terrible about the situation. But some of the people got the right understanding. Um, the right perception. And verse 5, it says, So Ezra rose up. He put the leading priests and Levites and all of Israels on the oath to do what, he, what had been suggested. And he took an oath. Then Ezra drew bef- from um, before the house of God and went to the room of Jehanim, the son of Elashebeth. While there, he ate no food and drank no water because he continued to mourn over the unfaithfulness of the exiles. A proclamation was initiated throughout Judah and Jerusalem for all the exiles assembled in Jerusalem. Anyone who fails to appear within three days will forfeit all of their property um, in accordance with the decision of the officials and the leaders and the elders, and will himself be expelled from the assembly of exiles. So this is pretty heavy. He's calling everybody, everybody's gotten back. Y'all come, we need to talk, because we are getting ready to get back into judgment with Almighty God because of how we have allowed ourselves to act in a situation, okay? Um, Within three days, all of the men of Judah and Benjamin had gathered in Jerusalem. And on the 20th day of the ninth month, all the people were sitting in the square before the house of God, greatly distressed by the occasion and because of the rain. So they sit not there in the rain, waiting to hear the words of the man of God. Um, Then the priest stood up and said to them, You have been unfaithful. You have married foreign, foreign, foreign women, adding to Israel's guilt. Now honor the Lord, the God of your ancestors, and do his will. Separate yourselves from the people around you and from foreign wives. The whole assembly has responded with a loud voice. You are right. We must do as you say. They adjusted their perceptions. Okay? But there are many people here, and this is the rainy season, and we cannot stand outside. Besides, this matter cannot be taken care of in a day or two because we have sinned greatly in this thing. Let our officials act for the whole assembly. they let everyone in the town who has married a foreign woman come out and set a time along with the elders and judges of each town until the fierce anger of our God in this matter is turned away from us. Only Jonathan, son of Ashael, and Jehiah, the son of Tikva, supported Meshulam and Shabbatha, the Levite opposers. Those are the only ones that opposed it out of the entire group of people that came back. Yeah, Ezra has some really cool names. Um, <laughs> so the exiles did as was proposed. Ezra and the priests selected men who were family heads, one from each family division, and all of them designated by name. On the first day of the 10th month, they sat down to investigate, investigate the cases. And by the first day of the first month, they had finished dealing with all the men who had married foreign women. Among the descendants of priests, and it goes down to tell the different people who came forth in the text, who gave out, um, who agreed to get rid of their wives. Um, It said they all gave their hands, in verse 19, and and pledged to put away their wives, and for their guilt, they each um, presented a ram from the flock as a guilt offering. Now what I found intense about this, and I'm using, again, the perspective. These are men who married women I'm not advocating divorce. That's not what I'm saying here. What I'm talking about, though, is the people of Israel were called to be holy and to be separate. They weren't supposed to be intermingled. So in this case, what they were doing was a good thing because they were already got God's anger riled up against them. So they needed to do whatever they could to separate themselves from that. But they had wives. They had children. Their love of God was so great that they said, we're going to put them away. They, they got to go because nothing is more important than our king. Nothing is more important. Not our wives, not our children, nothing. And they put, with the exception of a few people, they all got rid of their wives and children. Think about that for a moment. All of us who are married and who have children, how much we love our family, how much we love our wives. Some of y'all might say, well, no, I want my children. They can go away, you know. But, but um, that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about your perception, how you see a situation. How important is your relationship with God that you're willing to do anything to get in right standing with him, regardless if your husband is wrong or your wife is wrong? What does the word of God say? What does his law say? And are you willing to put everything away to get in right standing with him? Amen. Amen. I'm getting close to my conclusion. I want to turn to Genesis chapter 22. We're going to read verses 1 through 13. And I hope this blesses someone. Sometimes later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God says, take your son, and y'all know the story. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go into the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, I will tell you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to the servants, stay here with the donkeys um, while I and the boy go up over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on the son, Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered and said, God himself will provide the lamb um, for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went off together. Again, perspective. Um, When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on them. He bound his son, Isaac, and laid him on top of the altar, on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now, as I know you fear God fear God, because you have not withheld your son and your only son. Um, Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by his horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Now, what's interesting about this story is the two perspectives. One is from Father Abraham, and one is from his son. Abraham had been given a promise by God, as many of us know, and he waited 80 some years um, to get this son. I kind of equate Abraham for visual purposes, similar to um, Father Hall in here. He was an older man. His son, on the other hand, people a lot of times think that he's a little boy. He was in his late 20s, early 30s, according to some of the accounts of the biblical. So he was like a lot of the young men in this room right here. He could have easily resisted Abraham. It wouldn't have been an issue at all with him not wanting to be sacrificed if he chose to. He was obedient almost to the point of death. His perception was... I trust my father, shadow and type, but I trust my father. It doesn't matter if I get sacrificed. I trust my father. Abraham, on the other hand, had seen this young man grow up for 20 something years. Imagine the love he had for his son. And God says, I need you to sacrifice him. And he adjusted whatever perception he had. That's my son. I love him. I don't want to do this. All this off. Yes, I will do what you say, I'm going to do it in accordance to your word. And it wasn't a simple sacrifice where I'm going to just stab you and maybe God can heal you and bring it up. It's a burnt sacrifice. Complete consumption of the body. Nothing but ash. So imagine how that was affecting Abraham. And yet, even in that, his perceptions were still, your will be done. What's awesome about this that God showed me was, I'm going to read this back to you one more time. When he had reached the place God had told him about, okay, Abraham built an altar there and arranged wood on it. He bound his son. Abraham representing the father. Sometimes God will tie you down to a situation. Okay, He will put you in a position that you can't get out of. Okay, And he'll watch how you handle yourself while you're in there. Okay. The father bound the son to a situation. The son was obedient in that situation. His perception again was I'll do what you want me to do, even if I'm uncomfortable, even if it costs me my life. I will do what you want me to do. In the process, as we know how the story goes, once God saw that you're willing to obey me even unto death because you trust me, you know my character, you know my reputation, you know who I am in your life, the blessing was there. And it could not leave. It was trapped. God has what he has for each one of us when we obey him, regardless of the situation. Your blessing is there. It was trapped. It couldn't go anywhere. But it, they only saw it when they did what God wanted them to do in the way he wanted them to do it. Amen. My final scripture is what I have, what I call this, my backup scripture. I'm, I'm learning this. Um, God is teaching me this. Because um, like I said, the last two months has been a very powerful struggle um, in my life, um, in the life of my family. And I'm so thankful thankful for what God has blessed me with. Beautiful wife and family and brothers and sons. Um, but this is my backup scripture. And I don't really give this one out often, but I love y'all. so um, This scripture um, I use when I'm like, okay, you know what? I can't talk to anybody about this. I, um, I've i been praying. I'm not feeling any breakthrough. Um, I go back to the scripture. Turn with me. Y'all want to hear it? Okay. Turn with me to. Don't play games, right, Cody? This is the backup scripture. Turn with me to Deuteronomy thirty-three. I'm gonna read verse twenty-five. Let me know when you're there. The bolts of your gates will be iron and bronze, and your strength will be equal in your days. Now, I like the way it's written in my Bible. It says, "Thy shoes shall be as iron and brass, and as thy days so shall thy strength be." Okay. What God is saying here is that I give you enough strength every day to deal with every situation I'm allowing you to occur, to encounter. Whatever the situation is, when you wake up in the morning, I've already given you the strength by my Holy Spirit to deal with that situation. You never have a situation that you go through that you can't deal with. The word says so. Okay, so that's the back of scripture. No matter how bad I feel about this, I have to say, okay, am I looking at this with the right eyes? Am I looking at this through... The lens of Christ, first of all. Number two, if I'm doing that and I'm feeling anything else, have I gotten the heart of my, um, like it says in Ephesians, my enlightened, um, I've gotten my heart enlightened to God's holy presence. Have I been in prayer? Have I been in worship? Have I got God's power in me to be able to overcome? And then number three, with this last scripture, is he's given me the strength to accomplish what I need in that day. There's never a day that you will face something no matter what it is, that he does not given you the strength to persevere. It's just how you look at the situation while you're in it. If you see yourself as being a son or daughter of the Most High God, you see yourself being full with his Holy Spirit and his power, you see yourself saying, you know what? I will be obedient unto death to your word. I will do it your way. He you will have your blessing trapped in the thicket. It can't get away. Your deliverance is there. But you have to do it his way with the right perspective. Amen. Amen. That's all I have, but love y'all.